0: 1 Kings chapter number 18. It's good to see the Newtons here this morning. Please keep in prayer uh, his mother, who is uh, very near uh, passing at this point, and uh, also for the family of Brother Eddie Oates. I talked to him also last night. and. Uh, his mother; they were expecting uh, maybe within the next 24 to 48 hours for her to pass as well. And uh, so, if you will keep these folks in prayer uh, for God's comfort, God's grace, and it was good to see Miss Tish here this morning for Sunday school. But keep her family in prayer also as they are still uh, grieving in the loss of her son. And uh, pray that God will give great grace there. Second Kings chapter, or I'm sorry, First Kings, excuse me, chapter 18. I turned to Second Kings, First Kings chapter 18 and uh, we're going to begin reading in verse number 21 very familiar story of uh, Elijah and the prophets of Baal and first uh, kings chapter 18 again in verse number uh, 21 and Elijah came unto all the people and said how long halt ye between two opinions if the lord be god follow him but if baal then follow him and the people answered him not a word father we pray that you'll bless the the message and Lord, may you challenge and charge our hearts today. May we, uh, in these days that we're living, that we believe to be, uh, the last days we believe that your coming is very soon. Uh, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to remain faithful, to remain steadfast. And Lord, as we see the day approaching, I pray that you would help us to be uh, more bold, to have more zeal and more fervor in accomplishing, doing the work that you've given us to do. May we be salt in this world. Uh, that has not lost its savor. And may we be a light in the darkness. We pray that you'll bless the message and draw our hearts uh, the way that you would see fit today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to spend a little bit of time following up on the morning message. This morning's message had one point. This afternoon's has 25. And that was to make up for this morning. No, Obviously, it's not 25. Uh, but uh, there are a number of things. And I want to look a little bit further into this thing. Uh, of worship, uh, and kind of give you some practical things on it from Scripture. Uh, but there's no doubt we're living in a time where uh, people all over the world are worshiping something. And when it comes to teaching on the subject of worship, uh, it's not so much a, a difficulty in, in teaching folks that that there's worship going on. The problem often is in knowing and seeing what it is that you're worshiping. And uh, certainly the world worships, uh, the Bible even talks about this, uh, but they worship the creation more than the creator. Uh, Here in a few days, they're going to uh, uh, observe on our calendars, uh, World Day or Earth Day, I think they call it. Um, And the idea that, you know, we've got to, uh, they call it, take care of Mother Earth, and that's the term they use. And uh, they are worshiping, they are elevating the creation that God has made more than the Creator. The very people that uh, will cry and weep and passionately give speeches on that day would not lift a finger to talk about the things of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, we're living in a time where I think we think that we're in unique times. But the truth is, uh, this has been a, a battle that has happened through the ages. It's a battle that God's people have always had to face. And that is where uh, Satan tries to uh, get the hearts of people to follow after the things he wants them to follow after and to depart from the things of the Lord. Uh, Ahab was a very wicked king. Uh, He and his wife Jezebel, who was primarily responsible for the prophets of Baal, uh, had led Israel... Uh, headlong into some of the worst idolatry, and at least the more, most probably the most pronounced and promoted uh, idolatry that Israel had ever experienced up until this point. And uh, God used Elijah to come on the scene, and he he throws the gauntlet, if you will, down. He he says, "How long halts you between two opinions? You can't claim to be God's people and follow after Baal." And we're living in that day, and we spent a little bit of time this morning just addressing at the onset as a way of introduction on the service earlier, uh, showing that even in our churches, even in uh, quote-unquote religious institutions, men that are standing behind pulpits today and teaching to and, and preaching to thousands of people, uh, they want to have a foot in in both sides. They want to have they want to seem to be religious. They want to seem to be having a heart for God, and yet the truth is. Uh, they're following after worldly idols, and they're teaching those that are under their influence and those that are in their churches to follow after worldly idols. Uh, health, wealth, prosperity—all of these are self idols. These are idols that feed the flesh. And um, I, I this week have spent a great deal of time uh, pondering and, and thinking and, and understand, trying to understand. Uh, some of how our world got into the situation that it's in, especially in our nation. And I always come back to this, and I continue to come back to this, that it has been a failure in the pulpits of our churches. It really has. We have, even in the best of our churches, we have at least grown silent on these issues. While we may not teach and promote uh, these things that these other men are teaching, we certainly don't call them out. We don't, we don't bring them up. We don't speak about them. And I just think that there needs to be a revival in the hearts of God's people to be like Elijah. To stand before it, and regardless of the cost, I mean, Ahab could have easily taken his life at the simply a command and just given the command. But Elijah, understanding the cost and wanting to be obedient to God and to stand firm for him, he said, how long halting you between two opinions? And then he makes this statement to them in verse number 21. He says, if the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And he threw this out there and he charged the people in this area. And the Bible says that they answered him not a word. And I don't know what was going on in their hearts and minds. The Bible doesn't indicate that. But I do know that at the end of what Elijah does here, the people say, the Lord is our God. And they are no longer silent about it. And I believe that in the day that we live, there is a lacking among our our people, a boldness for one thing, to stand and to be vocal about the truth of God's Word. And then secondly, there is a lack of God's power being on display in our lives and in our ministries. People don't see God at work. And so they have no desire to follow after that. I'm afraid that a lot of people are silent on this issue simply because Christians have not taken the stand that they need to take. They've not been obedient to let the Lord Jesus Christ be exalted, to be elevated, to be lifted up, to throw it out to the people. Look, if the Lord be God, then follow Him. And if Baal be God, then follow Him. And our world needs to make that choice today. Our country needs to make that choice today. I would go so far as to say many of our churches need to make that choice today. I want us to look at several passages. There's a lot of things today that, that people worship. Uh, we don't have the same type of idol worship, I don't think, as far as what uh, Isaiah or uh, that Elijah was dealing with here, uh, because there was an actual image called Baal, and they uh, would have temples to him and go in and make sacrifices to him. And while we don't have temples and we don't have... Uh, sacrifices uh, in that aspect from a religious standpoint the truth is we do still have our shrines around the the, the country don't we uh, i mean in in this time of the year and and they're starting to narrow down the the end of the seasons there are there are uh, shrines that are built to hold thousands of people to watch 22 men run back and forth on a field with a piece of pigskin in between them And we say, well, that's good fun and it's wholesome, and and I've watched a good football game. I'm not opposed to watching one. What I'm saying, though, is this. We've learned to worship it in our society. We've got places, and I'll, I'll tell you how bad it is. It's so bad that come the night of the big game, there's going to be churches that will change their schedule so they can watch that. And then we wonder, we wonder, We've got to be so careful. got to be so careful. Because it is easy for us, without even recognizing sometimes, that there are idols that we still worship. And while we may not build a temple like they did in this day, there are still things that we build. There are still things that we lift up and we uphold. There are still things that we long after, that we are fanatical about, and have a greater importance to us than the things of the Lord. Uh, there are people that worship. More and more in our society, and I know we oftentimes, because we're in a good Bible-preaching church, uh, we live in a bubble of of this, and we don't always experience the things of the world. But I'm going to tell you right now, if you've looked around much at all, Satanism and the worship of devils is rampant in our society and fast-growing. Uh, books that have been written, amusement parks that have built whole sections of their amusement parks to elevate sorcery and witchcraft and uh, the occult. Uh, it is becoming something that our society is becoming uh, enamored with and engaged in. And I'm talking not just unsaved people, but it's in the pews of our churches, it's in our homes. We have these idols that come to bear. And while there is worship going on, I would submit to you that it is not the right worship. We're worshiping the wrong things. Uh, there are times that we worship man. How often that we laud and uphold heroes uh, that are in this world, and sports figures, music figures, movie stars, politicians, although I don't know anybody that would really want to do that. Uh, it's just amazing to me how often... And if it's not one of them, it is sometimes ourselves that are the image. It is sometimes us that are the God. We worship our will. We worship what we want. We worship the things that we crave for and have appetites for. We worship things that are anti-God and anti-Christian. We go places that are promoting things that are contrary to the teachings of God's Word and have no issues, no problems with it. There needs to come a revival among God's people of standing up and saying, you need to make a choice. How long halts you between two opinions? If the Lord be God, then follow Him. If Baal be God, then follow Him. We find a debate regarding what is to be worshipped. And this debate is not just something that in, took time in the place of Israel, in the time of Elijah and Ahab. But it is a debate that continues in our lives in this day. What is it that we worship? What is it that we encourage others to worship? By our lifestyle? By the things that we say? By our conduct? By the places that we go? What are we encouraging people to worship and to look to? In our homes, what are we putting before our children? Before our relatives? Before our nieces and our nephews? And upholding to them and showing that there is an importance there. And they begin to worship it. There are several things that worship can go through. One of them is uh, a, a debate over what is to be worshipped. Another thing is, uh, it is possible to have a perverted worship. Look with me, if you will, in 2 Kings chapter 21. Second Kings chapter number 21. And let's look in verse number 3. We'll back up to verse 1 so we get the, the gist of it. Manasseh was twelve years old when he began to reign, and reigned fifty and five years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hepzibah, and he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. Notice this, after the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. And this is how he did that. For he built up again the high places which Hezekiah his father had destroyed. And he reared up altars for Baal and made a grove, as did Ahab, king of Israel, and worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. And so he raises up this, this uh, image to Baal again and promotes it around God's people. He tries to have um, uh, his, his, uh, uh, his own set of worship, his, what he considered to be right worship, but it was a uh, perverted, it was a defiled worship. And then also look down, if you will, to uh, verse number 21, same chapter. And again, speaking of Manasseh here, it says, And he walked in all the way that his father walked in and served the idols uh, that his father served and worshipped them. I'm sorry, this is the son of Manasseh, I'm sorry. Uh, And so again, we find that this uh, perversion of worship takes place. And uh, again, it's easy for us to go down that road... And not realize we're doing it. It is easy for us to get to a place where something is more important to us. And our worship becomes perverted. And we come on Sunday and we sing songs and our hearts are stirred. And we love the worship that we have corporately as a group and as a church. But in our own private lives, our worship becomes perverted. We allow things to creep in that are more important to us than the Lord. So we need to be on guard for these things. We need to be careful of them. There, there is, uh, there is the fact that uh, our worship can become corrupted. We read this passage in, in the earlier service, but let's look in Romans chapter one one more time, and I want us to see this because this can become corrupted in our lives. Romans chapter number one, and uh, I want us to notice something particular about this uh, in chapter one and verse number twenty-five. The Bible, verse 24, "...wherefore God also gave them up unto uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie, and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever." Amen. And look in verse number 28. "...and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are convenient." It was not that they denied God's existence, it's that they rejected Him as their God. They decided we were going to uh, have a worship, and we don't care, it's not God, we don't care that anybody knows, we're going to just worship this and there's no conscience about it. The Bible says in verse number 28 that because of this, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. They gave them over to a mind that had no more conscience about it. And I fear that we're in the day where a lot of this has happened. I fear that it's, we've already crossed this line in many churches, in many Christians' lives. I watch and I see things on uh, posts that are on Facebook. And I'm appalled at how often Christians have no issue with sinful things. In fact, they almost seem to glory in it. You would expect that kind of conduct from someone who wasn't saved. And you would say, well, they just don't know because they've not been saved. They don't have the Holy Spirit inside them. Here are the people that are without conscience, allowing them to, to go down a road. And the Bible teaches us here in verse number 28 that as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, they allowed their worship to become corrupt. They liked other things more than God. It wasn't that they didn't know Him or that they rejected Him, uh, uh, His existence. It was that they didn't like to worship God. They wanted something else. The Bible says God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. And folks, we're we're either fast approaching that, and I'll I'll personally tell you this, in my opinion, we've already passed it. And we're watching churches close their doors. We're watching people fall by the wayside. Attendances of churches are, are falling by the wayside. Pastors of churches are resigning in disgrace. And over and over and over we're seeing these things in the day that we live. Because they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. How did we get to that place? It started with a perverted worship and ended with their worship being corrupted by it. They love to worship other things besides God. They worship their own will. They worship things that appeal to the flesh. We've been commanded... To worship God. In fact, God, in giving his first ten commandments to the, his children, he tells them, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. No other gods before me. He tells them, He, he wanted them to, to worship him and to, to keep him sacred about things. He even goes so far as to say, Not to even take his name in vain, don't even speak lightly of him. There needs to be a reverence. There needs to be an awe of who He is. Look with me, if you will, in First Chronicles, back in the Old Testament. Uh, First Chronicles, uh, chapter number 16. First Chronicles, chapter 16. And while I understand and I know that these words were written specifically to the nation of Israel, they do hold true throughout Scripture and they are applicable to us today. In First Corinthians chapter sixteen, and look with me if you will, in verse number twenty-nine, God is giving some commandments here, and He says, "Give unto the Lord the glory due unto His name. Bring an offering and come before Him." Notice this, He says, "Worship the King, or worship the Lord." I'm sorry, in the beauty of holiness. And I submit to you today that. While our, our worship can become perverted, it can become corrupt, we are commanded to worship God and to worship Him in His holiness. I know a lot of people who name the name of Christ, they'll come into services, and they'll raise hands, and they'll close their eyes, and they'll think, I'm worshiping God, and they may even have some emotional movement And feel like, boy, I just felt God's presence there on me, and then they go out and live the wickedness of the world. Can I tell you that was no worship at all? Worship has a sense of awe and fear of God because of His holiness. And it shows us our undone condition. It shows us our vileness and our wickedness that's turned within us. And when it comes to worship, there needs to be an understanding of who God is. God is not an emotion. Now I will say there are times that emotion comes into worshiping God. Jesus certainly showed emotion in His flesh on this earth, but worship is not emotion, and we oftentimes mistake that. We think, boy, if I can just get a get a get a uh, have a, have to swallow hard and, and keep the fighting the tears back, or or I have to uh, hold that shouting that that this emotion is what has, has caused me to worship God. No, 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 no. While a, while a tear coming down your face or a shout may come out of you from true worship, it is not in and of itself worship. I, I've thought of this because I was raised down south and uh, went to camp meetings when I was a kid and I, I saw a lot of things in camp meetings that as I've gotten older, uh, I think we've gotten way away from some things in them. I'm not anti-camp meeting. I think they serve a purpose in sometimes if they're done well and they're done right. But I thought of this. I saw people in those services do things in the service only because there was a large crowd there. And if it had just been them and the preacher at the at the at, the, at the Bob Evans saying the exact same things, they wouldn't have been up, up acting the fool and, and shouting and running around. And my thought is this. Either the message stirs you to that point, or you're putting them on an act. And if you don't do it in private, or if you don't do it in small areas, why would you do it in a large group? The only reason I have for it is to show out. I'm not opposed to shouting. There have been times I couldn't help it. There were times that God's goodness was so great. But I'll tell you this. There have been times I've been going down the road, and I just started shouting in the car. I'm not opposed to shedding tears. I'm not opposed to raising a hand. But there have been times in my prayer closet and going down the road and talking with God or out in the woods talking with God, I've done the exact same thing because it just overwhelmed my spirit. And I had to do it. It was my way of praising Him. But we need to be careful. We need to be careful that we do worship the way God commanded worship to be. It is not an emotion. I'm thankful that there are times that emotion is tied to it. But a lot of times we confuse the emotional stirring of a big crowd. And you know how it is. You can get the same feeling going to a, a St. Louis Cardinals game in the stadium. You're around that noise, you're around that crowd, and you're, you're stirred. Can I tell you, I don't think the Holy Spirit was anywhere near it. It doesn't mean you weren't stirred. I'm fearful that sometimes we confuse the two. And that brings me to my next thing is we want to define what worship is according to Scripture. So let's look in John chapter 4 and we'll end here. John chapter 4. John chapter 4. And please don't leave here and say, Pastor said we shouldn't shout in church. We shouldn't raise a hand in church. That is not what I'm getting at. And if you saw that, you missed the whole point of what I was saying. But you and I both know that a good test for whether or not that is genuine or not is do I do it? when I'm worshiping God in my own prayer closet. If I don't, then it was crowd-driven. Or it was preacher-driven. But it certainly wasn't Holy Ghost-driven. Look with me in John chapter number 4. John chapter 4. Let's look in verse number 20. And John is going to quote the Lord Jesus Christ in some things that he has to say about this. In verse 20, the Bible says, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. So understand what's being said here. Uh, The the understanding of the day when Christ was there was, well, if we're going to worship God, then we've got to go to His mountain to worship Him. Or we've got to go to the temple to worship Him. And that's the only place we can really worship. And that was the sense of the day. That was how they thought. But notice what Jesus answers them here. In verse 21, Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship your Father. Ye worship, ye know not what? Did you see that? You're going to the mountain, you're going to the temple, and you're worshiping, but you're worshiping something you don't even know. For salvation is of the Jews. Notice he says this, But the hour cometh, and now is. When the true worshipers... So here we have a distinction between them that worship and them that are the true worshipers. One of them doesn't even realize what they're worshiping. They're going through the motions. They're going through the practice. They're going through the traditions. They're doing what is expected in that place. Then the true worshipers come on the scene. And the Bible says this, The hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers... Shall worship the Father, notice this, in spirit and in truth. Doesn't matter if it's in the mountain. Doesn't matter if it's in the temple. Their worship is because the truth of what they know has stirred their spirit. And they're going to worship them in spirit and in the truth. It says, but the hour cometh, and now is when true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. He's not interested in the showy worship. He's interested in the worship that comes from the heart, stirred by the truth. That kind of worship is true worship. And it may cause you to shout. And it may cause you to lift a hand. And it may cause you to weep. But we need to make sure it's genuine worship. He goes on to say, verse 24, God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. I believe a lot of what even Baptist churches call worship today is nowhere near what, that, what worship is intended to be. I find that worship is the adoration, the awe, the reverence, the fear of God that stirs us to an expression. It is something that we are so moved by that we must proclaim it. We must speak of it. And that's why I'm, I'm worried sometimes. I, I was in the church. I'll, I'll put it this way. I'll end with this little story. I was in a church a number of years ago. Nice little church. Good, solid preaching. There's nothing wrong with the things that the preacher was preaching. But I met the preacher. Uh, met him on Saturday before and talked to him about the church and what they believed and wanted to make sure it was a church I could go to. And uh, went back on Sunday, enjoyed the services. I did enjoy the services. And uh, when he talked to us, uh, both on Saturday and Sunday prior to the message, and even in the announcements and the song service, it, th- he would sound like this. But when he got to preach, he went from this to, hey, everybody! Hey, everybody! And he started growling and, and loud and, and, and just, and, and, I got this sense that he felt like that was what allowed the message to be Spirit-filled. Can I tell you this? I've read of men like Jonathan Edwards and George Whitefield who were so worried that they would be put on display in presenting their message, that they would write their messages. They would not even look at the congregation. And they would read with no emotion the message. And men would grab pillars and hold on, afraid that they were going to fall into hell and die before they could get to an altar and trust Christ as their Savior. And the power of God swept over those places. And it wasn't because there was a loud, growly voice. And it wasn't because there was a lot of people gyrating and, and moving around and thrashing with confusion. It was because the power of God was resting on there. It was because the man of God and men and women of God in that place that prayed for their preacher and they prayed for the meeting and they prayed for the hearts of men, they knew how to get a hold of God. They knew how to pray and for God to do a work in the hearts of men. Can I tell you this? It's not hard to have true worship when those things happen. But they come from a heart that is stirred from the truth. It is not because we're planning a worship service and it's that time. Let's come to the mountain. Let's come to the temple and let's have our worship. That is not what God intended. God intended us to worship in spirit and in truth. I hope that will help us. If, I, don't, I don't know that too many of us have the problem But maybe we weren't sure or settled on this in our minds. And it is something we need to be aware of. It's something we need to know and be able to help others in. Now, don't go out here and start scathing on people who practice otherwise. But I think we can certainly be an influence to them. And we can teach them these things. And we can do it in a spirit of love, in a spirit of meekness. But uh, we need to get back to having the right kind of worship Because, folks, we're living in a day where I believe one of the major reasons our world is in the situation it's in is because God's people have long ago lost what it is to truly worship God. Let's go ahead and stand together. We'll be dismissed in prayer. Father, we pray that You'll bless the preaching of Your Word and use it. Father, may we learn from it, and I pray that You would help to guide and direct our steps. Lord, so often... We do things that we've been taught or things that we've seen other people that are like-minded do. But the truth is, Lord, we need to always make sure